Hash House and Circle Up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. Today on the podcast, we're back on the West Coast of America with another hasher who's in his fifth decade of hashing, started in Asia in the early days, and has connections to many hashers who are spread out across the world, and many names you'll recognize. Welcome on the podcast today from Long Beach, California, hash, One Left One. Welcome. Hi, Ra. One left one. Let's tell people your hashing origin story. When, where, and how did you get to your very first hash? Good question. I was transferred with Chase Manhattan from Wall Street to Korea. When I first got there, my boss, who was a hasher, told me that I had to run with this running group on Wednesday night because many of my multinational clients were hashers and I needed to meet them socially. So this was part of my job description. That was 1975 when I started hashing in Korea. Who was that guy? Is that guy, your boss, is he still a hasher? He's still alive. His name is Vic Reisman. He lives in San Francisco, but he doesn't hash. When you were at Chase Bank, were you a fit runner? What did you know about the hash before you went to the first run? Oh, nothing. I played soccer in college. Do you remember anything from the first hash run? What was it like and what were the surprises? It was very different than what Mouse described. We were a restrictive hash. In Korea, there were 38,000 military and maybe 250 expatriates. So the policy in, in management at the time was to restrict membership. We really didn't allow military to join to 50% limitation on Americans. So we had an awful lot of Europeans. French, Danes, Dutch, all over uh, Europe. So it was just what Vic Reisman told me. An awful lot of my multinational clients were, were hashers. Was it all men? Yes. Uh, we didn't allow Harriets. Once a year, we, we had a Harriet run. Yeah. Okay. How grueling was it? You had been a college level athlete. So how was the run? And was it streets? Was it off-road? What was it like? An awful lot of rice paddies. We didn't have a, uh, a turkey run. So whoever was the hare set the run in advance and then stayed with the pack at, at the back to make sure that people didn't get lost. Four to six miles. We didn't care much about uh, running through someone's rice paddies. Yeah. And destroying it. I was embarrassed reading what the current rules are compared to what, what we did. Sometimes we can be oblivious to things before our eyes get open to things in some of this adventure time. So why did you go overseas? Where did you transfer from? I went through executive training in, in Manhattan. I was designed for the international department because I had a master's in international business, Asian studies. Wow. So Chase sent me to Korea fairly early stage. Do you remember some of the hashers from then that have come up in the podcast or you've kept in touch with? Did you make friendships then that stayed on? I remember Wolfgang Gust, who was with Lufthansa and went on to be a grandmaster of Frankfurt hash for terms. And I understand wound up dying setting a run. So, yeah, you know, almost everyone who's done international events like the Interhash knew the wolf. 
He was quite a big character. John Wickman was a close friend of mine. He had run before in Hong Kong, then Korea, then Singapore, Bangkok, London, and back to Los Angeles. He was on with me on run number one in Los Angeles. Wow. How long did you stay in Korea? Four years. Hashing regularly then? Just about every week, yes. Did you get involved in mismanagement in Seoul? It was board control, the club. We, there were no votes. Any guests that were showing up, the, the board would interview a person and uh, see whether they fit the local hat. Were you part of that process of interviewing and vetting people? Not until uh, all of a sudden I was asked to be grandmaster. <laughs> 78. Then I got to understand what the rules and regulations were in that particular club. So do you remember some interviews where you said, now nah, this person's not a hasher? No, I don't remember. But I, I was only in that role for one year. Yeah. But I do remember one incident. I was asked to join for the government. Multinationals filed tax returns in Korea. They were pretty honest. I, I, <laughs> as many of my clients were, uh, you know, I got to see their tax returns. But when I joined, I found out that the Ministry of Finance funded us. And it turns out that all the directors of the audit committee were hashers. <laughs> of all things, we had funding from the Ministry of Finance. We would have a, a director's meeting of the board of directors uh, having annual functions where the Ministry of Finance, thank you, funded our annual function. <laughs> That's great. Now that you've hashed for many, many decades and gotten into Los Angeles and many other places, what was the unique characteristics of Soul Hash that you haven't seen other places? What were your duties as Grand Master? when you took that year on? The membership were multinational expatriates across the board. For some reason, we only had one person from an embassy, and I'm not sure why. Yeah, We had one native Korean, and he never invited anyone to join that was Korean, although we, we didn't prohibit anything. But when I was there, I was a reservist in the military, so I had access to military base and, and other. And so we would have board meetings at a place called the Soul Club, where they could get Western food, which was somewhat rare during the early stages of the uh, Korean revival. Hmm. We could have our board meetings with steak. Yeah. What was the beer situation for the hash there in the mid-70s? No problem. No problem at all getting beer. The circles that we had were a barn fire and we were around the barn fire. It was very different in the winter than it was in the summer because it got very, very cold. And it was, you know, zero degree centigrade. And I remember one run where John Baines, who was a Pfizer officer, and I remember seeing the icicles coming off his ears. Uh, oh, my God. Of... Standing around at the end. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> That's great. How big a group was hardy enough to do the cold weather circles after the runs? Was everybody stuck well, we, Yes, we stuck around uh, all around that fireplace. But we had, you know, 10 to 15 people in the in the summer. We had more like 35 to 40. Uh -huh. yeah, so, perfect. Let's talk about international hashing. You mentioned a couple people that had come from and gone on to other hashes regionally. Were you able to move around in those four years in Korea and hash outside of Korea? A little bit. It was an inner hash in Hong Kong in uh, 78. Right. And I, I ran with the Manila hash around the same time. I remember getting a t-shirt from the Manila hash at that point. Wow. In Korea, we worked six days. We worked on Saturdays. So we worked six days a week. And, right. uh, there wasn't an awful lot of free days. 
Right. But you were at the very first interhash. So was the wolf was certainly there. I don't remember. Uh, yeah. It ended up over the years until the wolf died. He attended every interhash. He was one of the people we called the survivors who attended all the interhashes from the first one. Uh-huh. Where'd you go after Korea? Were you able to keep hashing right away? Chase gave me a choice of Bahrain or Los Angeles. We had two children in Korea. They were quite young, so we selected to go to Los Angeles in late 79. And I didn't start hashing. Somehow, uh, Bernard Daniel, who had run with Singapore, got my phone number and invited me to the, uh, to the first run. And I brought two other Korean hashers with me. And there were about six or seven from the La Jolla hash that were on Run the One and Help Us Get Founded. Who were the key people? Did you have a role in organizing the first hashes of LA with Webfoot? I didn't organize it. I was the first uh, hash cash. Ah, how did money work then? How did how much did you charge, or how, did you have subscriptions? There wasn't an awful lot of money spent other than uh, getting the beer. Right, uh, and we had to organize uh, who was uh, who was herring. I herred the f- run number four in L.A. You know, we only had one run a month, probably the first six months. Right, L.A. hash, especially from the early days, has a reputation of being pretty brutal or requiring good shiggy hashing attitude and rough hashes. What was it like? Do you remember your, the first trail you set? What was it like? My trail was uh, well, the Avalon Mountains in LA. It was uh, Will Rogers State Park. Uh, we started there and we went up into the Santa Monica Mountains. It was it's great, great hashing run in the Los Angeles area. Okay, I just wanted to get back to the origins of names. You're one left one. Sometimes hash names are, they evolve different ways and they're more important on some hashes than others. How'd you get and where did you get the tag one left one? I get tagged by another hasher, George Cunnamus, who was Australian. One left one. Angelus asked me what my hash name was. I tried to remember, I think I, I remembered that. <laughs> we clearly didn't use hash names in Korea. Yeah. They ended up being a normal part of LA hashing though, huh? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Now, there's a couple people we talked about that you knew who have been on this podcast that have different in and outs of history. Keith Kanega ended up founding a men's hash in New Jersey, the kind of famous Rumson hash, one of the early all men's hashes. How did you know Keith? I knew Keith from Chase, New York. He was the international department. But if I went to New York, I was for three four days. And, uh, but it was a surprise to find that Keith was so active. Key figure in history of starting the Rumson hash. How long were you then staying with LA hash? As opposed to Korea, where you're working six days a week, what other places were you able to hash when you first arrived? I found the Long Beach hash on its fourth run. And so uh, I've been hashing primarily with Long Beach hash, which is more much more statistic than the Los Angeles hash is. So I'm working on my nine, 900th run with uh, with Long Beach right now. A little, it's a lot different than the Los Angeles hash. Uh, Los Angeles has a lot better running country. Uh, Long Beach is more urban. The, the traffic that you have getting to the mountains in uh, it's quite a challenge. Uh, I, I look at L.A. and see where the run is before I would go there. Yeah. So I just talked to a guy called Darth Vader. Is that someone you know? Yes. And he still runs. I see him occasionally. 
oh, maybe once every two months. On the early hashes, the La Jolla hashers came up. Uh, among those groups, was it uh, interchangeable for you? Were the early clubs there in California similar in nature except for the running terrain or how were they different no la jolla is a restrictive club you can't go online and find out where they're running it goes back to the uh the singapore most of those early runners in la jolla ran with the singapore hash ah if I, I go online and find out where their runs are los angeles and long beach runs we we accept anybody that uh, that comes on board. It's a little bit more crude than you would have in some of your Asian hashes. Yeah. So you took to the hash immediately. You got to the first run and said, okay, I've been sent here and I like this. What, what was it about hashing that you liked? And did you feel part of the group or the tribe immediately? Oh, sure. Sure. I like it for the exercise. It forces me to get out and stay in shape. And I'm, I'm still actively running. I'm setting a run next week with uh, a few other uh, Harriets. <laughs> Good for you. So you got more than 100 runs in Seoul before you left, run, right? That was running weekly? Yes. I, I pretty much ran every single week wow. in Korea, which might be why I, I suddenly became Grandmaster is because I was active. Yeah. So 900 in Long Beach, a couple hundred in Korea and various ones. We'll talk about your travel. So your ballpark number of runs between 12 and 1500 or is that about right yeah probably over 1500 oh cool let's talk about more characters and events misadventures that you've had after the world interhash did you go to any more international or regional big events besides local hashes actually my favorite european hash is the west london hash right um, when i'm in a european city it's very difficult to, to get to where the hash starts West London is really good because they start at a tube stop. The best shirt that I can think of any hash having is the West London hash because they have a, a map of all the tube stops. But instead of the name of the tube stop, they have the name of the local pub that they start with. Yeah. I have, I think, three West London hash shirts. What do you remember? What was it like for you hashing in West London? Is there any particular hashes you remember? Um, I like the Dolan Hash, oh, yeah. simply because my wife is Irish. The founder there is Patty. He still shows up for runs. Normally, uh, he'll, he'll show up at the end and, and, and trick with everyone at a local pub. Nice. I find that a, a fun run. I've, I've run with Paris and Munich. Wow, nice. It sounds like you're collecting T-shirts from all these places. Have you hung on to T-shirts from Seoul and everywhere since? I've got two from Seoul. I, I lost my... I let someone my first L.A. hash shirt, and he never showed up again. So I oh. made a mistake. <laughs> wow. Made a I think I've heard this from somebody else who gave it. I, th I think Darth Vader might have given his shirt away to a, a lady, and she took off with it. Yeah. you got to be careful. Who you <laughs> yeah. What misadventure or big adventure stories come to you if you're sitting around telling crazy stories with hashers? Did any come to mind? I know you you asked questions to hashers about the police. Yeah. Um, in Long Beach, we require people to have a cup. We went from uh, kegs to simply beer cans. If they come around, they don't see a beer can. But I do remember one time we were, uh, we don't follow traffic signs very much. And there was a policeman at the corner. And as people crossed the red light, and uh, he just gave out tickets one after another. So, wow. Uh, 
Wow. Uh, <laughs> but normally no one follows those. The problem that we have in Long Beach is that we can't find pairs to set trails. So you wind up the grandmasters wind up setting about 50% of the trails. That's bad. They, they don't have time to, to do all the scouting and get things organized. And also, you've got a number of people who are, would not have been accepted in point in Long Beach where people started kissing women's feet. Oh. Don't yeah. ask me why, but it... <laughs> and the, the names they give some of these young girls that run with us are so crude that they never come back. So there's just a cultural problem. Yeah. Why is it that they have so much trouble getting hairs from the group? Uh, I think it's management. You got to look at the hair masters uh, that were responsible for setting the trails. If you're in that job, you should be... Uh, talking to people who haven't set a run in uh, in a year and say, which date are you going to be setting a run? Yeah. And we even get experienced hashers that, like we had one last night, uh, it was pitch black by 7.30. Very experienced hashers, and they were dropping flour maybe every 20 you need to train. You need to train hash harriers in order to set trails. So we we didn't have that problem. I don't think uh, in Korea we were more dedicated to uh, explaining what the, how you work a hash. Mm -hmm. One thing we did, I know that we did in the '90s in Cairo. None of the t-shirts were pink, and we printed a pink hair shirt. And then every year, the first time you set a trail you got a hair shirt. So we created kind of an incentive and that's how we always had tons of hairs. That was, we kind of bribed them. Yeah, and instead of the security situation, we wanted to make sure that the Korean military, the South Korean military didn't think we were North Koreans. So we had bright orange shirts so we could be <laughs> easily seen. Oh, that's great. How important to you over the years then are the hash traditions? They're important, but they vary by club. Every club has its uh, different rules uh, and, and histories. So in Korea, we uh, we set trails in advance. The hair was at the back. Most of the clubs in the United States are live hairs, um, and now we, they set off much earlier than the 15 minutes. A lot of the uh, historical traditions have, have gone as uh, we get a lot older. <laughs> yeah. You have taken on those from Grandmaster to Hash Cash in LA. Were you at various points mismanagement in Long Beach too then? No, I've actually never had a board position in Long Beach. Mm -hmm. They're all single. Uh, I've been married for 50 years. I don't think my spouse would appreciate me getting involved in those kind of uh, social events. <laughs> <laughs> well, Long Beach Hash, I know over the years, I've seen bunches of them traveling together to big international events or, or interhashes. Sometimes send a contingent of like 20, 25 to an interhash. Does that sound right? Am I? Oh, yes, absolutely. Even uh, the last one in Trinidad, I think we had about eight people, uh, even though the hash was banned for Trinidad, I think we had about eight people that went down there. Yeah. There's quite a few. Long Beach hashers and Los Angeles hashers that are very active in international interhashes. So what's the worst thing that's happened to you, like injury-wise or getting lost or getting in trouble, apart from maybe getting one of those police tickets on a hash? Scary adventures? Yeah, about nine months ago, I was a hare. Two days before, I, I sprained my left ankle and 
I had to find a, a replacement in two days and, and let that person scout the trail. So uh, that was an embarrassment. And But that particular run, one of my co-hairs there had been setting a trail about a block from his house and was dropping flour. And one of the neighbors went ahead and put it on the neighborhood blog as uh, as someone throwing anthrax down on the ground. And uh, it got uh, about 300 people responding with all kinds of criticism about killing the dogs and poison, rat poison. Yeah, there's a long history of white powder. Some of them have turned into big, serious events with court cases and everything. Yeah, it's insane. It seems very avoidable. I want to talk about another tradition and maybe have you reflect on how the culture changed. Red dress runs have become a big part of hashing and they've started out there in Southern California. What's your experience with red dress hashing? I kind of wanted to think, what if that tradition had been around? Do you think it would have been something that you could have done in Seoul in those days when security might, was quite different? We do have uh, about once a month a special dress run where quite a few of, of the hares and harriets uh, dress up for that particular function. So, uh, we have a blue dress run and a red dress run and a negligee run. And <laughs> You're doing those just for fancy dress, not the fundraising that's often used with red dresses. No, no, no. In fact, one of my suggestions when I wasn't on the board is that we have shirts with uh, advertisements of pubs on it to reduce the price of runnings or to get better food afterwards. That was declined. I mean, there's lots of ways to, to raise money that to advertise your uh, hash. It's more ad hoc, but we're very good statistically. I can't tell you how many runs I've had with Los Angeles. I know exactly the number of runs per year and number of miles I've run and <laughs> everything else uh, in, in Long Beach because we had one Harriet that set up all of the database. And although she's not medically qualified to run now, it's it's held on. So we, we have tremendous statistics. Who are some of the people that have done more than your 900 out? Extreme long-termers from Long Beach? Oh, yes. We've got Dale Trader, known as Jock. He was mm. the founder of, of Long Beach Hash. I'm sure he's at the 1500th mark. Wow. So Sumi is an attorney. <laughs> um, oh. He's probably around 1300 runs. He doesn't run, but he shows up and drinks, uh, as does uh, Jock. Uh, we've got a number of people that passed away an age that they can they can show up and drink and but they're not interested in running. So we probably have six people or seven people that uh, show up and have no intentions of walking or running. Yeah, fair enough. That happens to a lot of clubs and, and that's just the way we all evolve. Do you remember about when it came that you looked around and said, hey, I'm not one of the young ones here in this hash anymore? Because a lot of hashes age. And the same group of people kind of grow up together and they all feel like, oh, I'm still part of the main thing. But like you said, now Long Beach has a lot of youngsters in it and a lot of the elders, they're aged out of running. What point did you say, hey, I'm, I'm one of the old guys now? I still run as much as I did 15 years ago. Uh, yeah, that's no, good for so, you. Uh, you know, I was 79. When I was running in San Francisco a few months back, they had the 2000th run there. And at the end of the run, they asked, uh, okay, who's who's been hashing first? I don't think there was anyone within 10 years of when I started running. So, uh, wow. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. 
Well, we've kept track along the years. We'll do surveys and at big events, yeah, like that, pull out the old Elvis Tasher. And there was a guy from Australia that recently passed, Darwin Dawn, that was up in his later 90s. Sadly, Sir Nookie of Edmonton, age 93, just passed. He was what we thought was the eldest Tasher, still active. You got to hang on for quite a few years, take over the eldest cell running mantle, but good for you. Getting pushed onto the hash in South Korea, it's become obviously a big part of your life since then and all the travels you've done. Can you imagine, what if you had never found the hash? Were you inevitable to find it somewhere else, do you think, because of your running? If you travel a lot, it's great to simply look up what the schedule on the local hash is and whether you can get there by public transportation. I seldom have a rent-a-car. Were most of your trips to these European places and other hashes business trips or personal vacation trips where you've done that hashing? The expatriate world at Chase, we, it changed a lot in Korea. And so uh, easier for large corporations to hire. It is very expensive, especially if they have children going to uh, an American school. Right. Uh, a lot of the, the economic reason then you might have, like in Cairo, I remember being in Cairo in 1975, and it was right in the middle of Ramadan, and it was dismal. <laughs> yeah. It got much better. I was in Kuwait in the early 80s. I actually arrived there to start a job three days before the feast at the end of Ramadan. And everybody left the country, and I had given up my passport, and there was not even anything open. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of the, the founders of the, the Korean hash was Ian Young mm -hmm. and Robbie Douglas. Robbie continued running. Uh, he may even be alive in Korea right now. Uh, but Ian Young was with Pfizer, and he went off to Costa Rica, and he founded the Cross Creek and hash along with Bill Barbie. And so you, you've got an awful lot of people that migrated from their in, initial hash. But again, it's the expatriate in, environment that there's far fewer international assignments for Americans than there were 20, 30 years ago. And, and also for maybe to a similar extent, British and Australian, because the hash boomed in the 80s and 90s everywhere, expats were it was easy to get an expat job there in every virtually every place in the world. So hashes sprang up. Right, right. You mentioned Costa Rica. Did you ever hash in Costa Rica? I haven't, but I, uh, I've actually known Bill Barbie for many, many years. Uh, he, uh, he has family in Long Beach, so I've gotten to know him uh, outside of the hash. And he, he would run with us uh, when he, whenever he was in Long Beach. Yeah, I understand he died within the last couple of years. Within the last couple of months, yes. Last couple of months. We were good friends during the time that he was in Cairo. So his hash name is Bambi, for those who know him. He was one of the survivors of Inner Americas with Patchwork starting the Inner Americas hash in Costa Rica. And then he attended. Almost everybody who goes to Inner Americas hashes knows Patchwork Quilt. Bambi is a little bit more happy staying behind the scenes, but he was, yeah, quite a big figure in starting Costa Rica and starting Inner Americas and keeping that going. 
Yes, he's uh, very active, very active internet. He spent two or three years in Cairo. I don't know his whole travel history, but yeah, that's a sad loss. Yeah, well, he was a agricultural specialist in Costa Rica. He was a consultant for agriculture. What connection that has with going spending a couple of years in Cairo is puzzling. Oh no, there were quite a quite a few ag projects there funded by everything from GTZ in Germany and the British AIDS and USAID. There were, I've worked on a lot of ag projects. I don't think I worked on anything with Bambi. Well, I, I actually talked to his wife two weeks ago when I had had an email from yourself. And, uh, she had uh, actually run with uh, some of the Cairo ashes. She would visit periodically from Costa Rica where her, her family was staying. I remember meeting her, I think, a few times. Yeah. You've stayed amazingly healthy. During this time, running on the hash, you, you liked it for the running and also the social stuff. Did you run and do sports outside of the hash or was that enough for you to stay in shape all these years? I try to do some kind of exercise five days a week. And uh, although I, I've stopped the running because my foot surgeon tells me that it's not smart to do the same muscles over and over and over again. It gives you all kinds of back and neck problems. Mm-hmm. Aquarobics right now. Okay. Well, you're certainly a, an inspiration at 79 and hashing since 75. Let's see, 70s, 80s, 90s, zeros, ones. You're in your sixth decade of hashing actually now, right? Yeah, it makes me feel old. <laughs> well, herring next week, you you certainly are acting like you're, like you're far from old, so good for you. What did you think about the future of hashing? If we look forward decades when we're all long gone, do you think the hash will survive and be recognizable in a few decades from now? Five or six is in greater Los Angeles. Uh before the pandemic and and most of them were closed down it's it's definitely going to survive it's just uh, not going to be as decentralized with so many hashes as it as it was before every week we still get a visitor from somewhere that's good is the religious advisor always right we don't have a religious advisor we we had one beginning in los angeles but i haven't seen one in probably 20 years in uh, greater LA. Oh, who runs the circles there? Is it the GM? The GMs run the circles. Okay. So let me rephrase it so we can address it. Is the GM always right? We rely a lot on the GM and uh, I have a lot of respect for, uh, for them. They, they, we have voting, voting in both Los Angeles and Long Beach. It's very active. Uh, Everyone gets to vote and it, it works. Does the mismanagement change over every year? Do you have an AGM and or every year we uh, no we don't have we have two uh, GMs so they're joint masters and it uh, all the board positions rotate every year. Wow! And we uh, we have actually a founders ball in formal dress every February. We have a formal uh, dining function at a hotel where um, uh, we honor the founders, which for the most part was uh, Dal Trader, who's AKA Jock. And uh, two others, one of which is passed away. We announced the new board and the new GMs at the Founders Ball. And it's all uh, celebrated uh, at that particular function. And that's a cool idea. So, yeah, it's nice to have the founder available. There's certainly hashes that are running today where the founders are long gone and barely known. And 
it's very cool to have the Founders Ball and keep that tradition and make all new people then know who Jock is and you talk about the history. That's kind of cool. Yeah, Jock, uh, he started in Taiwan in 1977, then founded the uh, Okinawa hash. He founded the uh, San Diego hash, and he founded the Long Beach hash. He's got yeah. uh, an awful lot of tradition. Do you know about the hash museum that's formed in Europe and now establishing a branch in KL itself? I heard about your other broadcasts too. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, unluckily you've lost your first LA shirt, but you know, at some point looking through the stuff, if every, if anybody's saying, oh, I'm going to get rid of stuff that we can, we can make, yeah, pass that word so people can donate anything. Does, what does Los Angeles had a great, uh, some great documentation they put together catalogs and history documents the long beach with all their statistic gathering did you have a written hash trash or an online write-up about runs yes we have a continuously have had a, a weekly run and we have something in korea as well just to let people know where the next run was but we don't have what webfoot uh, wrote uh, on the history of the Los Angeles hash, that we don't have that uh, that type of, uh, of scenario all, all written out. Long Beach is missing that. Huh? We're missing a, a script of what the history of, uh, of the club is. Maybe we can get Jock to uh, to have someone co-write it with him. Yeah, well, hopefully I can get the interview him, and that'll just get some outline there, and then maybe somebody will jump on it who can write and uh, put that together. That would be very cool. You you did a quick list of some of the major European cities you've hashed with. Have there been any that were really surprising, how different they were? One of my close friends was John Wickman. He was with an oil company. He died, and at his funeral, uh, his children gave me his 1500th Singapore hash mark. Wow. So I, I've got it in my collection here. John ran all over the place. One other thing out of, the, out of the original Korean hash is uh, it was quite dangerous to drive your own car. A lot of the Southeast Asian Asian countries had rules where if you hit someone, uh, the driver was responsible. And uh, so many of the multinationals would not allow their executives to drive a car. Uh, so they they hired uh, we had a, we had a chauffeur the entire time. And we could go to the hash run. Yeah, designated driver each. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that 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 was similar. By the time I left Cairo, that was pretty much similar for a lot of the oil company execs. They just said, "Stop driving." I had my own car, and driving in some of these other countries away from where we learned can be an adventure in itself. Dead sober. So. Yeah, well, someone could simply put their foot in front of your car and uh, then take you to their little yeah. port. That that was yeah. risk. Yeah, there was somebody in, in Cairo, the instructions, I don't know if they were formal or informal. If you hit someone or got in an accident, leave, get to a police station or a hotel, run inside and say, lock me away from the crowd. Because there was not only the legal risk, there was the risk of a mob kind of attacking. Okay, Rob. All right. Thanks a lot, Ed. I'll talk to you soon. We'll call Matt. Bye now. Bye now. That's a great interview with One Left One of Long Beach Hash. Started hashing 1975 in South Korea, so he's in his sixth decade. This is the On On Podcast. Hash your voices, hash your stories, hash your history. New episodes every week. Till next time, On On, this is Rob. To close the circle, here's the hash anthem sung 
by Mother Hash. Sweet.